0: Apart from the collateral damage of the pandemic itself, it was a great year from my perspective to focus on the client because golf served as an outlet, as a stress reliever for a new adventure when other adventures weren't available. It served as so many things for so many people last year that I really felt that it forced me to up my game. So this past season was one of my best ever. It was exciting to introduce so many people and to reintroduce so many people to golf. And for so many people who just decided, you know what, I've decided that golf is gonna be my jam. I really wanna get good at it and learn more about it beyond just hitting the ball. That's exciting to me. I love when people wanna learn golf. I feel like a big part of my job is kinda like love connection. It's my job to help people fall in love with golf.
1: Welcome to season nine of the Mod Golf Podcast, where we speak with the influencers, disruptors, entrepreneurs, and innovators who are shaping the future of golf. If you're a regular listener, welcome back. If you're new to the Mod Golf Podcast, thanks so much for joining us and please subscribe to the show so you'll hear about all the upcoming episodes and you can enter our latest golf product giveaway. Before we get started, I, I wanted to thank one of our supporting partners, and that is Golf Genius Software. I want to thank them for helping bring you this episode. Golf Genius software powers tournament management at thousands of private clubs, public courses, resorts, and golf associations all over the world. So if you're a golf course operator who wants to do less work, have more fun, and generate more revenue, check them out online at golfgenius.com. I'm your host, Colin Weston, and today my guest is Dr. Greta Anderson, Principal at Dr. Greta Golf. Greta is an LPGA golf instructor holding a PhD in higher education, and Greta teaches using methods grounded in measurability, strategy, and evidence. So as a designer, I love all about that evidence-based teaching, so I really want to dig into that today. Most of all, Greta wants her students to learn to love the game of golf, so we're going to get along very well, because that's why we're here, is to grow the game and to get more people to love it. So with that introduction, Dr. Greta, thanks so much for joining me today, and welcome to the Mod Golf Podcast. Thank you so much, Colin, for having me. I
0: am delighted and excited to be here.
1: Thank you very much for that. And you and I have been playing this dance for, gosh, what, about eight, nine months where you reached out to me on on Instagram. You're quite active there. And we are back and forth. And I was a bad person and, and <laughs> forgot your DM and left you hanging high and dry for a few months. You were back and forth. And here we are. We finally get a chance to have a conversation. So I'm really looking forward to this today. So, hey, I want to start with this, Greta, since you're doing some very interesting things. It's almost, where do I start? You wear lots of different hats, but I'm going to start with this. And that is, I want to hear about your very first golf experience ever. The first time you picked up a golf club and perhaps it was the same time or maybe it was after that. So your first experience and also your first awesome golf moment, maybe they're two of the same or maybe they're different. So please tell us about that.
0: Sure. So the very first time, that's a great question, Colin. I have a pretty good memory and I'm trying to remember where we were. I was definitely with my dad at the driving range. I grew up in Detroit, Michigan. So I'm trying to remember if we were at the Palmer Park driving range or if we were on Billisle. One of the two. Dad was just hitting some balls. My dad's loved golf forever, as long as I can remember. But as a man with a family and a career, He didn't have tons of time, but it was kind of his getaway. But I did enjoy getting away with him to the driving range. Just a time to hang out with my dad really more so than even the golf thing. But I do remember that day, for whatever reason, I said, hey, dad, can I hit a few balls or something along those lines? And of course he said, yeah. And I remember, I think I tried to grab like his three wood or something. Now, that's a little while ago. And so we know that clubs work extremely heavy. <laughs> so yes. he would probably weigh a little bit more than I did. So I think he managed to put a wedge or something like that in my hand. But I do remember how cool it was when the ball went in the air. I was like, oh, this is pretty fun. And so I will say that I was hooked after a couple of those, but it was a delayed love affair. And I'm sure we'll get into that. I was about, so maybe seven or eight, something like that.
1: Seven or eight, seven or eight. So especially growing up in, in greater Detroit, you said you grew up in Detroit? Yeah. So I'm assuming at that time, golf was not the sport of choice for most of your friends, other families in the neighborhood. How did your dad first get involved with golf? What hooked him or attracted him to the game?
0: I think really work colleagues. Many people played and it is a thinking man's game. And I definitely will say that my father is a cerebral man. And so I think it just works for him and his personality. I mean, he's an avid golfer to this moment. Um, he's probably somewhere right now sitting, reading a book about it or thinking about it or working on his fitness in preparation for the season. He is a committed golfer. Of course, now he's a retired committed golfer. So he has plenty of time to do those things. Honestly, I don't think I've ever asked, but I think that's kind of the, the root of it.
1: Well, it sounds like the apple didn't fall too far from the tree there. And I, I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, but I've seen your Instagram and some videos and also your website. You're a very athletic person, so you probably could have chose a multitude of sports and probably have placed. So I'm going to ask this because I ask entrepreneurs this all the time. I'm first going to ask, why why golf? What attracted you to golf after that first experience with your dad to stay on with that or rather than go into other sports?
0: I grew up as an avid tennis player. So many of my friendships and relationships and a lot of my spare time was already committed to tennis. So for me one of the things that made the instant connection as we've talked about offline a bit, I'm a natural lefty and you know I do almost everything left-handed. So that that was definitely the case as a tennis player. Well, those of us who know much about tennis know oftentimes a two-handed backhand particularly for kids, juniors And I was a little skinny little girl. And of course, I started playing well, rackets were still pretty heavy. You know, we didn't have all of the great technology, the graphites and all of these things. It was wood. It was heavy. Probably as I did. And so I had a very well developed two hander. And so think about this. My father plays golf right handed and I picked up a right hander's club. So I wasn't able to articulate and I couldn't see it quite then, but really what it was, it was just a two-handed backhand on a different plane. The ball was just on a different plane. So it wasn't as far of a stretch for me from what I've been doing as a tennis player. And so realizing that success, I liked golf a lot. One of the reasons that in retrospect, I can see pretty clearly that I didn't gravitate toward golf as a junior is because kind of what you said, the programming wasn't there. There were no first tee, there were no girls golf. But in the world of tennis, I had a bunch of programming Mm -hmm. and friends and relationships. And we know kids just like adults are social creatures. And so it's really no brainer in that regard. There's tennis over here. There's golf over here. But there's tennis and fun and friends and travel and tournaments here with friends in an environment that I'm comfortable with and that I know. And over there, there's hmm, not so much.
1: Not so much. I want to dig into this a little more because I'm intrigued because we talked about this a little bit earlier. You and I are kind of two peas in a pod here. I am left-handed. I write left-handed. Uh, I throw left-handed, but I played baseball, batting right. I'm in Canada, so I played hockey, shooting right. In tennis, I play left-handed also uh, with a one-handed backhand, not as well or at a high level like you did. When I started playing golf and just picking up a club, I started playing right-handed because that's the way I played baseball and played hockey. And I had, I told you this story, that I had a lesson about 10 years ago where the teacher wanted me to release the club more. So he said, pick up some golf balls and like your shortstop throwing it across the diamond just kind of sidearm throw them into the net so I did this with my left hand of course he's looking at my right-handed club and I'm throwing balls at my left hand and I can see immediately he's thinking you should be playing golf left-handed I'm thinking there's no way I'm starting from absolute 0 and going to shoot 132 for the first couple of months and do that but you did go there so I I want to ask you about that and how that's informed you as a teacher of what you do now that journey alone of starting from scratch, go from right-handed golfer where you're, it sounds like you were struggling to left-handed. So tell me about that.
0: Yes. So as I said, I was an avid tennis player and by then. I was we fast-forwarded quite a few years, and I'm playing on the UST, what they call the senior in tennis. Anything over 25 is a senior, which <laughs>
1: right, me. right.
0: on well, a senior uh, circuit playing all over the world, really, and playing well. I mean, as a matter of fact. And one day, literally, my hand just stopped working. It turned a light hue of purple <laughs> between between really? lavender and violet. And it just started working. It at first it felt as if someone had hit my like just took it, taken a hammer and slammed my Elbow, you know, so the funny bone was just vibrating nonstop. There's a combination of pain and numbness. And it just really rapidly went downhill from there. I was fortunate enough to get in with a really great hand surgeon. And he said, literally, we've got to take care of this. We're going to have to operate because nerve damage is irreversible. So fortunate, they uh, managed to salvage a lot of the functionality in it. But even to this day, I don't have the same level of dexterity that I, you know, naturally had. And the nerves can be a little bit funny, kind of almost a delayed reaction or something. So I'm really careful around the extremes, heat, cold, because, for example, if my hand's over at the stove, it'll take a second before I realize, oh, wow, this is burning. So (laughs) it's a struggle. It has been a struggle. But but at this point, there are so many bigger problems that I can have. And I kind of accepted that a long time ago. And I'm okay with it. In terms of my instruction, I will say this. It may sound odd, but it's one of the best things that could have ever happened.
1: And and why do you say that? What has that informed you having to start from basically from zero again? What has that lent to your mindset as as a professional teacher?
0: Empathy. I understand what you're feeling like because I've been there. The fear, you know, how the ego can come into play. All of these things. I mean, I went from being able to shoot an easy 70 something. If I hadn't picked up a club in six months to my first round as a left-handed golfer, I shot a 143. (laughs)
1: See, that's what I was afraid of, and I wouldn't go there. But you did. Yeah. It's amazing.
0: It was an iterative process. I will say my ego kept me going back to those right-handed clubs. And then my surgeon literally said, like, you only have two wrists. You can't regrow one. I've already repaired this hand to the best of our ability. If you blow it out, I don't really know what to tell you. You've got to figure out something. You have to come to grips with something about what you're going to And I really had to have, if you will, come to Jesus with myself and say, you can't do this. So what's it going to be, Greta? I wasn't going to play tennis at the level that I had played. And for various reasons, I really wasn't interested in not playing at that level. I had so much invested, so much of my life in tennis, and I mourned it for a short time. And it's still one of my great loves. I love watching my friends that continue to compete. I love watching beginners compete. I love the sport of tennis. I have absolutely no desire to play very much anymore, which is very interesting. But it's the empathy It taught me patience because it took me a couple of years to learn how to really play golf again, despite the fact that I was a very good golfer just on the other side of the ball.
1: Wow. Amazing. So I have to ask you this, and it always gets back to why. Like I said, I work with a lot of entrepreneurs, whether they're in golf or, or other sectors, and whatever product and service or business they're building, and it comes down to why. Why are you creating it? Not what it is, but why are you doing that? So I have to ask you this. If you were that competitive in tennis, your background, of course, a PhD in higher learning from University of Michigan, you had so many options. Why didn't you get into doing what you're doing with Dr. Greta Tennis instead of Dr. Greta Golf? So what was the draw for golf that was tick that final box that you decided this is your passion and this is how you want to spend your professional career?
0: I know tennis very well, know the industry very well, and, I t- and I've, I'm a certified instructor with PTR and the USPTA. I've been a tennis teacher probably for a couple of decades now, a long time. So I understand that side of things very clearly. And so with that said, I saw as a business person, tremendous opportunities, like golf is a beautiful sport in many ways, but I also saw how difficult it is to learn golf. Now, the interesting things that really fortified this desire in me to build this business was as a very good golfer on the right side of things, you know, on the right side of the ball. Once I began this journey and committed to learning and starting all over again, because I accepted, I have to just forget the other stuff I'm starting over. I literally got rid of all of my right-handed equipment, went to the golf store with my dad, bought beginner clubs, started from scratch. I was shocked at the lack of enthusiasm, mutual enthusiasm that several instructors that I visited with had. I mean, it, I was literally told a couple times, well, you, you're probably not gonna be that good anymore. Right. Like, who says that? It was once I ran into an unbelievable instructor I mean, I was struggling, you know, to get consistent ball first contact and getting the ball into the air. I told her my intentions and she didn't bat an eye and said, yeah, we can make that happen.
1: Nice. Nice. It sounds like you took a lot away from that. That's that positive encouragement. It's like, what can we do rather than what we cannot do? Building bridges rather than uh, throwing up some walls there. So also from the business point of view, I want to talk to, well, before we get into the business part, I, I want to ask this, is put it out there. So yourself as an African American, as a black woman, I'm sure you've had negative experiences on golf courses and within the golf industry. How have you found that? We want to talk about this. We want to get real. We are going to be publishing this episode during Black History Month, so we definitely want to celebrate and showcase here. So here, just get as real as you want to get with this. What have you found in the the early days with you, or even recently, things that are just not equitable and reasonable and, and fair where we still need to do some work?
0: We're making progress, but there are a lot of areas that definitely need work. It's implied bias. I'm continuously saddened by the number of people, particularly women of color, who land at my lesson team. And I always like to know the history. Everyone's story is so interesting to me. Um, I think that's just the social scientist in me. I, I just love the human stories. But I also like to narrow in and understand where they're coming from in golf, what's brought them to golf. And oftentimes this is a return to golf based on a bad experience that may have been Mm. a decade ago, two decades ago. And for whatever reason, they've decided to give it one more try and they found me. And that always makes me happy. But I'm always so sad to hear all of these stories like you could have been enjoying this great game of golf for 20 years, but because you ran into a jerk and had a bad experience, or you were very purposefully excluded from the golf network at the law firm or, or at the office or whatever the case may be. There are so many forces that have discouraged people of color from getting involved in the game. It works on many people. Fortunately, there are more and in increasing numbers who are saying, no, that looks fun. That looks like something I would do, whether it's just purely for fun or they realize that golf is a great business tool. Any number of those factors, but that's really one of the driving forces that gets on my nerves. I don't like being the exception on the course.
1: Fair enough. And the conversations that I've been having on the Mod Golf podcast for the last couple of years, and I'm doing my best to make sure we are as diverse and equitable with the guests that we have on the show. have had the pleasure last season with Charles Dillahunt with the PGA of America. I don't know if you know Charles or not. And he's working with Sandy Cross on the diversity and inclusion piece. And we've had others on the show also. I don't know if you know Shella Silla out with Sister Golf out of Houston, and Clemmy Perry with Women of Color Golf. You're a good friend of mine now. I've known Clemmy for a couple of years seems like things are slowly starting to build that there seems to be, I don't want to say it's quite to a tipping point yet, but even three, four, five years ago, there's much more representation, much more energy much more acknowledgement and effort being made. So the question I have for you to start with is how long have you been going with Dr. Greta golf? Like how many years? And what was it like when you first started as compared to where you see things now?
0: Well, it's funny that the Dr. Greta, It's my, you know, my earned title, but I really didn't embrace it for. It took a long time. I was quite young, relatively speaking, when I completed my PhD. And I was a consultant right out of school. And people would say, Dr. Anderson. And I I was like, you know, 26, 27. (laughs) It just felt ridiculous. So I would say like, okay, just call me Greta. And then I remember my boss was like, under no circumstances will they be calling you, just calling you Greta. And I said, okay, well, Dr. Greta. And so That's kind of how that works. So people call me Dr. Anderson now, or, you know, as I say, just call me Greta. But that's where the Dr. Greta comes from. So I said, hey, it's Dr. Greta. And I'm all about golf. Dr. Greta golf. Very simple. It doesn't need to be much more complicated.
1: Nice. Nice. And that was how many years ago? And also as an entrepreneur, I I always love this. I talked about the why. What was your differentiator at that time? And what was your business model when you first started out? So what gaps or pain points? I know some of them are obvious and you mentioned a few of them, but what really did you see as the business opportunity that you decided to pursue here with Dr. Greta Golf at the beginning?
0: What I saw was a lot of people really want to move the needle, but a lot of people want to understand how to move the needle. Most people on my, that have worked with me now will tell you I'm very big on the why. It's not just what I say, you know, and it's certainly not how I say it. It's why. I want to create an informed golfer. I want to create a great golf citizen. I do not want you to be dependent on me. I mean, yes, that's what I'm here for as a professional to help you refine and further grow in your skill set but I want you to be an informed golfer. And so as an educator, someone who's really passionate about education, just like if I was teaching at the collegiate level or first grade even, I'm the same way on the lesson tee. Excellence in education is significant because I am passionate about growing the game. But here's what I know. Golf is way more fun, and you're likely to remain engaged in this great sport if
1: you have some skills. Simple as that. (laughs) The more skill you have, the better shots you hit, the lower your score, the more pars and birdies you make, the more fun you have. It's a, it's a pretty simple math equation, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I, I love the fact you keep coming back to why. I was talking to another guest a little while ago, talking about the leading startup and talking about the Toyota business philosophy or methodology from the 1950s on the assembly line called the five whys, which is the drilling down to that question, almost like a toddler asking a parent why all the time. It's like, what's the problem? Something broke down on the assembly line, but once you actually drilled down and keep asking why, then you solve exactly or pinpoint and hone in onto what the essence of the real problem is. And it sounds like you're a big uh, proponent of why also on the lesson T. Why?
0: And it's very interesting as a learner, just I'm a lifelong learner, but I learned this with myself. I struggled. I will not say I struggled. That might be a strong word, but i never felt, let me rephrase that even. I sensed that I was missing the breakthrough because oftentimes Teachers and coaches, it's more about what they're telling you to do and not questioning or not giving the why. I always needed to understand the why. I'll walk to the ends of the earth for you if I understand why. Mm -hmm. Every learner does not require that but many do and many don't realize how helpful the why is. So that's just my philosophy and my approach. I probably say that a hundred times during the course of a, of a full day on the lesson T, but I just feel like it's so important that I want you to understand why. Why is the ball flying as such? Why is the ball hooking to the left or the right or whatever the situation is? Not just it is and it's disappointing to you. Let me help. Get the connection of the laws of ball flight. I mean, it's, it's physics. It's, it's nothing personal. It's just that the club and the ball aren't doing what they need to do.
1: In the fact you, you get back to measurability and attached to the why there to provide context rather than I remember when I was starting out and I at least I understand now I've had enough good formal training now and getting better at golf where I would hit a good shot or a bad shot. And if you would ask you, what did I do right or wrong, I wouldn't know. And of course, that is, uh, that is no secret for a successful repeatable swing at all sounds like you're using that feedback loop like a lot of entrepreneurs do as far as testing, measuring, and then iterating, and then keeping that circle going or that feedback loop, Absolutely. what you have. Yeah, love that. So you said golf is a metaphor for life for you. So what does that mean for you exactly?
0: Absolutely. Golf is such a metaphor because it's, God willing, it's a long journey. It's a long way between that first tee. And that final putt on the 18th where we're shaking hands after we've all had our shots. And so with that said, every shot has value. Everyone's going to play the shot, the hole, the round a bit differently. We're going to have hiccups. It's not about the mistake. It's about the recovery. And it's about understanding my positioning and what works for me. Doesn't matter what club you pull out, Colin. It matters what club I pull out. It's about moving forward and not getting too caught up in the past moment. For example, I can strike a ball and it can be the absolute best seven iron I have ever struck in my life. Conversely, it could be the worst seven iron I've ever struck. But here's what we know. It's over. So there's no point in getting too emotionally attached to it. It's over. Now I have to make the best of the situation in which I find myself. And that's life. It's not always fair. It's not always equitable. Sometimes we put ourselves in some not so good situations or some great situations, but we have to keep moving forward and we have to be strategic about it. We need to be kind to ourselves, be kind to others. We need to be good citizens. We need to be honorable. We need to call a penalty on ourselves. All of these things they are just parallels to golf as I see them. And so that's what I think. It's just a great tool for so many things, and we know it's a character-revealing sport. In the round of golf, you're going to run the gamut of emotions. and oh, yeah. <laughs> that's why it's such a great sport for business. Not so much that you hit the ball in, into the rough or the woods, it's the fact that you pulled the ball out of the pocket when you thought nobody was looking. Mm-hmm. We could care less about the boss or the hiring manager could have cared less about the score, but now you've revealed to us that you are less than honorable. I love so much how golf can tell us so much about ourselves, about each other. It's just great. I could go on and on about it.
1: Yeah, I know. I love your take on this. And I, I agree completely with you. Within four hours of someone that I've just met, it reveals their character as a human being and it doesn't lie. I truly believe, and it sounds like you do too, that it carries over into their everyday life, their business life and their personal relationships and the way they approach things. Sure. And yeah, I'd much rather hang around people that are uh, willing to give themselves a penalty yeah. because that's what, what life is. So I'm sure with that type of philosophical scaffolding that you run your life with through golf and on and off the course, that COVID-19, the pandemic, we're still in the middle of this. It's been hard on everybody, continues to be, but it sounds like you have, through the resilience you have and the adaptability, I'm sure it hasn't been easy, but you've hopefully been able to cope and not only survive, but thrive during these times. So I'd like to hear how you're doing during these very strange, tumultuous times, and how that has affected your business model, what you've changed up since March of 2020, and what you're doing as far as delivering value for your clients with Dr. Greta Golf.
0: First, I've been so blessed in that. It has not touched me directly or anyone di- directly in my family. So I'm just so thankful that mm-hmm. my parents got their first shot yesterday. And nice. so we all uh, celebrated on- online. Yay! <laughs> so happy. That we're on the road to getting everyone that really wants one. I'm excited for them to get one. So I've just been laying low. It's funny. I was looking at some things as we prepare for tax season and that type of thing. And I was like, wow. I really spent my time working or at home. I mean, I could tell by my mileage and some other things that apart from the collateral damage of the pandemic itself, it was a great year to really focus from my perspective, to focus on the client because golf served as an outlet, as a stress reliever for a new adventure when other adventures weren't available. It served as so many things for so many people last year that I really felt that it forced me to up my game and have a really interesting year. So this past season was really, I would say, one of my best ever. It was exciting to introduce so many people to golf, to reintroduce so many people to golf, and for so many people who just decided, you know what? I've decided that golf is going to be my jam. I really want to get in here and get good at it and learn more about it beyond just hitting the ball. And that's exciting to me. I love when people want to learn golf. As many people know, I often say, I feel like a big part of my job is kind of like love connection. It's my job to help people fall in love with golf. And if that doesn't happen, it's not going to always happen. But if most of the elements and the environment is right, I can make it happen. Because, again, so much of golf is about the success and the joy we feel throughout the motion, making the ball do what we want to do, all of those things. If you can help bring all of that together, oftentimes you can help someone really get excited about the sport.
1: Nice, nice. So you're kind of like the Tinder for golf, then, just bringing people together.
0: Yeah, I like relationships.
1: <laughs> that's that's so good. So with the pandemic, have you changed the way you teach? Are you teaching virtual? Are you teaching with safety protocols in place in person, or is it a combination or a hybrid? So tell us about that a little bit. Of it sounds like you've got even more people reaching out to you and onboarding for lessons because golf has grown. Rounds are up twenty five percent in wow. twenty twenty as compared to twenty nineteen. Because golf is a naturally socially distanced sport or one of the very few. So so tell us about that a little bit. It sounds like you've done a lot of thinking about working not only in your business, but also on your business. So yeah, tell us about your COVID business model and what you're looking at in 2021 and beyond and what you've learned and what you want to take away from COVID to continue on to evolve your business model as you go forward.
0: So COVID struck and everyone kind of put on the brakes midstream, like really like, and so what I found was people froze. Golf fell on the priority list for even some of the you know, avid golfers, rightfully so. We didn't really know what was going on. But as people realized, okay, we may be sitting in the house for a couple weeks, little did we know it was going to be a year, but it was springtime and people into the game. So what I then began to do was I had this massive uptick in virtual instruction. So people have technology, and, and I encourage my students to, even if it's just a modest setup, so that they can work on their swing and feel and tempo. And that type of thing. They have a setup in their backyard, or maybe they have a bonus room or something in the home with high enough ceilings so they don't tear up anything. And so what people said, like, well, hey, I can do a virtual lesson. So I would say throughout March and early or mid April, about 50 or 60% of my business, full-time instruction business was online. I mean, it was virtual. And so as things changed and local regulations changed and evolved, And the weather, you know, the weather improved, frankly. People were okay with coming out, but I'm pretty conservative when it comes to things like safety. And so I had my teaching station. I didn't go six feet. I went 10 feet. And it was touchless. So I made clear, you don't have to touch anything when you come here. You're going to come. We're going to be safe you're going to get some fresh air and we're going to move forward in that regard. So my mix changed from, I usually have a healthy mix of group instruction and individual private instruction, but just for the sake of comfortability in, in the early spring, I shifted gears and focused more on private instruction, but by May or so, we moved on into group instruction and we just took up a larger space and just made the stations even larger. And I brought on a couple more junior assistants to help. So no one had to touch anything. That's the main thing. Everyone just wanted to feel like they had their own space and they could interact, but not too close. And so with that, it worked really well. But really, my mix did shift more so to private instruction. And a lot of people are just more comfortable with themselves or their own custom groups. Hey, we can do to a group of four, but I need to know the other three people, which is right.
1: Fun. Yep. Stay in that bubble there. So obviously, before COVID, you were on a lesson tee. So your catchment would be within the greater Atlanta area. But now virtually, do you have clients from all over the world? Or can you tell us some stories or give us some examples? Of, of some exotic locale that one of your current students is from?
0: I'm teaching a student right now who's in India. We All right. eight times a day. So sometimes I'm teaching in the middle of the night and it's the middle of the day. And sometimes he's taking a golf lesson in the middle of the night.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Love it. And, and how did that student find you? Do you have any idea?
0: They found me online. said they were looking around and I asked jokingly, did you type in golf instructors near me? Did I I pop up? And he said, no. But just reading and he said, like what I was about from what he could see. And I appreciated that. In my thinking, I'm like, well, if someone has that much interest and passion and drive and they think that I can help them and I think that I can help them, I'm not going to let a few things like a few thousand miles stand between us when we have technology.
1: Hmm. Well, I kind of knew the answer to the question. Away, I was kind of using that as a segue to my next thing I was going to mention, and that is where we first found each other, and that is on Instagram. I love what you're doing there. You're very authentic. You're giving back. You're demonstrating thought leadership and cultivating trust with the posts that you're putting on there. So, if you found that's really helped your business as far as getting your brand out there and getting out your message of what your why is,
0: it has. And people often comment about how. I work hard to try to feature different facets of instruction. I love all of golf, but instruction is my lane. It's my bailiwick. I'm from soup to nuts. I'm all about golf instruction. And so it's clear that I'm trying to help people break the barrier, like come on in. The water's just fine. And so that message seems to be resonating. And so that's what I'm excited about. And so just doing more of it.
1: Nice. You've got a couple of assistants that you mentioned, and I realize once everybody gets a couple of vaccination needles in their arms, that things will open up again and you can expand even more. So on that note, as an entrepreneur, you've got a blank sheet in front of you here. You can make this as big or as really artisanal as you want, and high touch as you want, as you're doing right now. So what what is your desire? Do you want to create a Dr. Greta Golf brand that perhaps will be in multiple cities in the U.S., maybe expand across the world? Because you could scale this, especially with the virtual capability now. So what, what are your desires? What's next for you, say in the next year or even five years, if you look at a crystal ball, what direction do you want your business to go in?
0: So I've been spending a lot of this time and we have had a lot of time indoors and working on things to really answer those questions that you, just as you mentioned, Colin. And so for the past several months, I've been busy building the online academy. And so you asked that question right on time, because what I know and not just assuming one of the great things about being a social scientist and, and having these experiences of the past of data collection, I'm a professional focus group moderator. And so I hold focus groups all the time with my target audiences because I don't want to assume that I know what golfers need. I know from a technical standpoint, but I want to make sure that I offer products and services that are spot on. So I spent quite a bit of time holding focus groups with golfers from all over the world and began developing two great products that actually will be launching quite shortly. But in the bigger picture, I really want to be able to help people all over the world learn golf. Some of that will be digital, but also that will be in person. And I've done quite a bit of that over the past 10 years. I mean, I've taught throughout the Caribbean, Mexico, and Europe, and travel partners and places are, are great because golfers love to travel, but there are golfers everywhere. And so I look to expand that in the coming five, 10 years as well.
1: Love it. Love it. Well, it's there for the taking if you want. It sounds like with your background and, and your experience and the partnerships you have in place, and the people that you know, you can certainly make that happen. So it sounds like you're just getting started here. It's exciting. It's it really is- exciting.
0: Every day is exciting. That's what I do. I am so thankful. I do love my job. I do.
1: Nice, nice. And for all you budding entrepreneurs out there, great nugget of wisdom that Dr. Greta just provided for us when she was looking for new products and services to offer rather than just assuming people would like this and spending all this energy, time and money to create them. You went out and asked people, focus groups and listened to what people actually wanted to create products that resonate with people rather than just trying to create something Say in entrepreneurship, the worst thing to do is create a uh, solution looking for a problem, right? (laughs) Create a product that's looking for a customer. And then sadly, the majority of them uh, out there do that, but you are not, which is fantastic. And I'm glad that you said that because that reinforces... That notion in entrepreneurship 101 there, that's what you need to do. Get out of the building, talk to some people, listen, show empathy, express that like you have said with yourself having to go from a right-handed to a left-handed golfer and how that helps you with your instruction. So I can go on for another hour here, but this is this has been amazing. And we do want to jump on our video call because, of course, we want to create a video that we will post on the Mod Golf YouTube channel. We'll ask some different questions, talk about different things. So hopefully our listeners here will turn into viewers and go see that conversation that Dr. Greta and I have with that. So as we finish up here, Dr. Greta, why don't you tell our audience where they can connect with you both on maybe your Instagram handle and where they can find out more information about Dr. Greta Golf.
0: So you can find me, we can start with my website, which is drgretagolf.com, which is D-R-G-R-E-T-A-G-O-L-F.com. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram. Thanks, still on Facebook. At Dr. Greta, same handle.
1: Good stuff. And you're most active, it sounds like, on Instagram, correct? Yep. There we go. There we go. As I always do, I will include all of those great things that Dr. Greta just mentioned in the show notes and also on her bio page. So all that'll be there so you don't have to furiously write all that down. I got you. We'll cover that. It'll all be there. So go check out what Dr. Greta is doing with Dr. Greta Golf. Some really exciting things. I'm so glad we finally had a chance to uh, have this conversation. And thank you for being patient with me, but also being tenacious and keeping after me to make sure that this happened because I really enjoyed this conversation. It's been an honor having a chance to get to know you a little bit better.
0: It's such a such a phenomenal podcast. I was not going to miss the opportunity to even be here with you. So no problem at all. My
1: pleasure. Uh, it's very sweet of you to say. Well, like I said, we we talked to the innovators, influencers, and entrepreneurs and disruptors. I think you may fit into all four of those buckets there. Wear all four hats at once there. I think you could be a, a quadruple play. Is that a thing? A quadruple threat? I don't know. Anyway, you're all those things, and you're doing a great job of it. So Dr. Greta, thanks so much for joining me today on the Mod Golf Podcast. I look forward to talking to you again very soon. Thank you. I look forward to it. So that's a wrap for our first season nine episode of the Mod Golf Podcast. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Dr. Greta Anderson founder and owner of Dr. Greta Golf. If you'd like to learn more about Dr. Greta Golf and perhaps book a virtual lesson with her, visit our episode show page where we've included website links and contact information. The video link for my extended conversation with Dr. Greta is also on the episode show page. And please subscribe to our Mod Golf YouTube channel while you're there. If you leave a comment, I promise to respond. Please join me next time when my guest is James Cronk, president and co-founder of Golf Industry Guru. To learn how they are creating an online community that provides education, training, and tips for the brightest and most successful golf and hospitality industry leaders in the world. I'd like to take a moment and thank our sponsor partners, Golf Genius Software and British Columbia Golf, for helping make the Mod Golf podcast happen. Without their support, I wouldn't be able to bring you these engaging stories from golf's brightest innovators and influencers. Our friends at Golf Genius Software have added a new digital scorecard option to their live scoring capabilities of its tournament management platform. So if you're a golf course owner or operator, I suggest you check them out online at golfgenius.com to find out how they can help reduce your workload, create more fun, and generate more revenue. If you enjoyed this conversation about entrepreneurship in the golf industry, you can find more compelling episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen in. I'm your host, Colin Weston. Thanks so much for joining me. Bye for now.